I am very glad to be with you this morning. I want us to reflect back to just one week ago. Oh, by the way, um, I'm going to ask a handful of rhetorical questions, and if you're like me and you spent five years at Auburn uh, getting a four-year education, you may need some help with the word rhetorical. That's where I ask you a question and you don't actually answer out loud. It just gets, gets you to thinking. So I'm going to ask a handful of questions, and um, hopefully we will, it will prompt you to think your answer through. So last week we celebrated Easter. I submit to you that that is the most important day in the life of a Christian, and I would also say it's probably the most important day in the history. But we celebrate the fact that our Savior and Lord rose from the dead. Then two days before that, we celebrated Good Friday. And so what I want to do today is, I think um, I may have seen Ellen Shepherd here somewhere, but I know Ellen likes to point out that any good lesson taught by a Methodist has three points. So I have three sort of headings. We're going to look at before Good Friday, we're going to look at Good Friday, and we're going to look at Easter and beyond. So to get us started, first rhetorical question, who do you say Jesus is? Excellent. And I agree 100%. The Son of God. All right, so for starters, we're going to look at before Good Friday, and our first Scripture reference is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, and this is where Jesus says to His disciples, He asked them, who do you say I am? So, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, you know, you can't be, really be a redneck if you can say Caesarea Philippi without stuttering. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, and I believe at this point Simon Peter is speaking for himself and the other disciples. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're going to reference this in a few minutes, but so we see that the disciples said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So now let's talk about, well, who did Jesus say He was? In uh, John chapter 10, verse 30, which we don't have on the, on the screen, because even I can remember this one, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Okay, so Jesus claimed to be God. When He had been arrested and when He appeared before the Jewish leaders, I believe their title was the Sanhedrin, but he was appearing before the, the Jewish leaders, and the high priest 
asked him a question, and that's our second scripture. <clears throat> Mark 14, 60 to 62. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is, what is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent and did not answer. And by the way, that is a specific fulfillment of prophecy. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And he goes on to say, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. So, when you consider the question, who do you say Jesus is, some of your friends who are perhaps non-believers, skeptics, haven't fully embraced who Jesus is, might dismiss Him as a good moral teacher, as a prophet, as a significant person in history. But interestingly enough, his claims to be God and to be the Son of God do not dismiss us as simply permitting Him as a good moral teacher. So, there are, I think, three possibilities as to who we say Jesus is. And uh, another thing I meant to point out to y'all at the beginning, I am going to be using Josh McDowell, a Christian apologist who wrote a book that I love more than a carpenter. I'm going to be using a couple of his arguments. And this first one, he actually uh, references C.S. Lewis. So, who do we say Jesus is if we say it's not a good enough answer, it is inaccurate to say He's a moral teacher? Let's look at this a couple of ways. Let's say He claimed to be God he claimed to be the Son of God, and He wasn't. That leaves two choices, not six or seven. That leaves two choices. The first is He was a lunatic. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God, and He wasn't. He thought He was, but He wasn't. So, bless His heart. He was a lunatic. Or the other option, which I think is even worse, I do know better not to say worser, but the other option, which I think is worse, he was a liar. He knew he wasn't God. He knew he wasn't the Son of God, but he claimed to be. He was a liar. He was a hypocrite. He died for a lie, his followers died for a lie, or the third option is he was God, excuse me, and is God. He was and is the Son of God. Therefore, the only option that makes sense to me is that he is Lord. So three options, liar, lunatic, or Lord. So now we'll fast forward to Good Friday, and I'd, I want to put in a plug for RUMC at this point. 
Every Good Friday, uh, our RUMC youth group has a beautiful Good Friday service at noon. I did not get to attend this year, but I highly recommend that for you. And then we also have, I think I would say it's my favorite service of the year, Good Friday on Friday night, we have seven pastors who talk about the seven last words of Jesus while He was on the cross. And I, I want to cover two of those. Um, and so, to frame this properly for you, Jesus was crucified, and He was crucified for you and me. He chose to be crucified. He could have gotten out of it, but He chose to be crucified. He chose to die on the cross for our sins in our place. And when He bore the sins of the world, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When He bore the sin of the world, something happened between Him and God. He and God had had fellowship since the beginning of time. The Gospel of John starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He had had fellowship with God since the beginning of time, and all of a sudden, because He is bearing the sin of the world, fellowship with holy and righteous God is broken. And He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The next word he says is, it is finished. Uh, reminds me of my two-year-old grandson who I think he, was, he completed a simple task. I think it was putting the top on his sippy cup. And when he did it, he said, I did it. Well, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished because Jesus came to do the will of God, which was to die on the cross for our sins in our place. And I also want to reference one of my favorite verses, and we'll talk this through. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, He made Him who had no sin… Oh, I, I know a different version. Let me read this one. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, let's break that down. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin. And remember, Jesus had no sin. So that in Him, Jesus, we, all of us, might become the righteousness of God. Well, righteousness, I think, is one of those church words that you say it, and you sort of dismiss it, and sometimes you don't stop and think, what the heck does that mean? Um, so the suffix ness is like the state of being. So righteousness is the state of being righteous, and righteous is in right standing. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, in our place, for my sins. And by the way, y'all, that is not early onset of dementia. I am repeating myself for emphasis here. <laughs> he died on the cross in our place for our sins 
so that we might have fellowship with God, so that we might be in right standing with God. So now I'm sort of going to jump back to before Good Friday in an attempt to frame this next point. So um, you'll remember that Jesus was arrested and he was led before the Jewish leaders. When he was arrested, do you know that every one of his disciples except John deserted and fled? And here's what I think is the reason for that. They had such unrealistic expectations of who Jesus was. Even though he had told them at least three different times that he was going to be crucified, he was going to die, then three days later he would, he would rise from the dead. You see, they expected a conquering Messiah riding on a white stallion who would roll in and free them from Roman rule. When they got a suffering Messiah riding on a donkey who died, it turned their world upside down. Their unrealistic expectations were shattered. And so what did they do? They deserted. They fled. And let me reference Peter here for just a minute. Uh, and if, if you're interested in this, all of this about Peter is found in Mark chapter 14. But here's what Peter did when, after he had said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he deserts Jesus, he flees, and then when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, into the Garden of Gethsemane with him, while Jesus went a little further and prayed, guess what Peter did? Another rhetorical question. He napped. Peter slept when he should have prayed. Now they're leading Jesus off to appear before the Sanhedrin, and Peter followed Jesus, listen to this tragic point, at a distance. How many times do we follow Jesus, but at a distance? And then, once they got there, it says that Peter warmed his hands at the enemy's fire. Bless his heart. He just wanted to fit in. He wanted to blend. He didn't want to stick out. And how many times do we do that with our non-Christian friends? And then ultimately, Peter denied him three times. And so this is what happened to Peter and the other disciples. They deserted. They fled because their unrealistic expectations were not met. And I'd... I'd just want to share with you oh so briefly that that's exactly what happened to me. My testimony includes just being mad at God for 18 years because of unrealistic expectations. All right, so now let's look at Easter and beyond. Um, and so to, to stimulate your thinking, did Jesus rise from the dead? And now let me make eye contact with Marion. Don't panic. I believe he did. <laughs> I'm not going in that direction, so be at peace. <clears throat> did Jesus rise from the dead? Clearly, we just celebrated a week ago that he did with songs such as, 
up from the grave he arose because he lives. One of my personal favorite songs to sing in the shower when nobody's listening. And Christ the Lord is risen today. And then look at the transformation of the disciples. They went from disillusioned cowards who fled, who deserted, who denied, who hid, who didn't know what they were going to do next because they had spent three years giving their lives to someone who is now a dead Messiah. They went from that to people who proclaim the good news of Jesus. Um, Specific example is look at chapter in uh, Acts chapters 2 and 3, how boldly Peter preaches. In Acts 2, his first sermon, 3,000 people were saved, the very first sermon he preached. And then also, just to picture how their lives were transformed, all of his disciples, except for John, died a martyr's death. And most of them were either stoned, beheaded, or crucified. Do you think they die for a lie? So, we do believe that on the third day He rose from the dead. Um, And then just a couple of points I want to make. Um, He appeared to His disciples over a period of 40 days and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. That's in Acts. And then the last scripture that I want to bring your attention to is in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 6, where Paul has gone through a list of the people to whom he first appeared, and he finishes with, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive. So his point being, if you want to get a firsthand witness, you can, though some have died. So, um, now I'd sort of, sort of kind of like to ask, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to you? Well, for me, I stop and think that Jesus willingly died on the cross in my place for my sins so that I might have eternal life, so that I might have fellowship with God. If He loved me so much, how silly of me not to follow Him and let Him be Lord of my life, and help me, Lord, not to follow Him at a distance. And then I also reference the unrealistic expectations, because to me, this is, I mean, That's such a significant part of my life. I mean, I spent 18 years mad at God because of unrealistic expectations. The disciples deserted Him and fled because of unrealistic expectations. Everyone in here at one time or another has had a fight with a boss, an employee, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend because of unrealistic expectations. So what do we do about those? Well, one thing we do is what we're doing right now. We are faithful to worship, and it's been a lovely worship service today. 
Also, we find a small group. That is my exhortation to y'all today. In addition to worship, find that perfect small group, whether it's a Sunday school class, a Bible study, an accountability group, a covenant group. Find that small group where you get into the Word, you get to know God better, you get to know Jesus better, and as you get to know Him and His Word better, your unrealistic expectations become more and more realistic, and your faith will not be derailed like the disciples and mine was. I'll close in prayer. Um, I am going to be right over here in the event that someone likes to come and maybe ask a question. Uh, If you're going to ask what happened to my wrist, that's off the table. I'm not answering that question. It's embarrassing. I'm just not going to answer it. So don't come over and say, hey, what happened to your wrist? Not going to answer. But I would welcome almost any other question. Okay, let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, we pause now to say thank you. Thank you, God, for loving us so much that you gave your one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross in our place for our sins, and you did it willingly just so that we might have fellowship with you and live forever with you. And Lord, I I simply ask that you will help us to commit ourselves to you, to recommit ourselves to you, to follow you as our Savior and Lord, and certainly not at a distance. Thanks for this time, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.